Um, now, we're going to move on to the message. We uh, were looking at the things that are happening in the world today, and we don't need to be told what's happening in the world today. It's gone absolutely crazy. Uh, but we were looking at, um, and some people came up afterwards last week because we ran out of time. We didn't finish um, the, uh, the message that was uh, on really what's happening to the world under the power of what we call the elites. And um, we need to, we need to uh, visit that slightly again um, because things are happening and things are going to happen apparently in January and February of next year that are going to affect all of us. And so I want to make you aware, and some people came up, and can, can you finish off um, the parts that we didn't do last week? And I said, yes, I'll do that. But I want to just revisit why I'm, I'm doing this, because we've seen the upheaval and, and the, the behaviour in America, and it's just beyond belief that that's happened so fast in such a short time. And uh, my wife was listening to, we also support um, Australian Christian Lobby with Mark Niles. And uh, he had a very good message just recently, uh, and he, he, it was when he was in Adelaide earlier in the year. And the name of his uh, message was um, Victimhood and Entitlement. And when Sue was relating to me that some of the things that were happening um, um, in America and Martin's take on this, I thought it fits perfectly with what I want to share with you today because he was going back to the Bible and he based his uh, message of victimhood and entitlement on Cain and Abel. But I'm going to take you back even further than that and I hope you've got your Bibles or I hope you're really good at um, reading uh, the, the scriptures on, on screen because we're going to really get into the Bible and into the Word intensively today because you need to understand what's going on. Now, can we have the, um, the gallery that we had last week? The rogues gallery, yes. I wasn't going to say that, but now I will. Yeah, okay. Um, and we'll just wait for it. Um, good, I can have a drink. It's the elites where... I can't see Eric, so he's busily working away at that. Anyway, you know who, who it is and who I'm talking about. And one of the things that we looked at was their incredible wealth. And we looked at a passage in Revelation 18 that gave an insight into why people who are fabulously wealthy want to do the things that they're doing now. And we looked at that passage in Revelation 18 and it says you can trade all you like with goods and sheep and cattle, but the ultimate lure to that kind of power is to trade in the souls of men. That's the ultimate um, almost lure for these people. You can have so many um, palaces, you can have so many Rolls Royces, you can have so many this, that and the next thing, and they don't mean anything. But when you have control over human beings that almost makes you want to feel like a god. And that's the problem with it. And we've got them up there now. 
And um, across the top, I don't know if you can see it, it's the Windsors, the Rockefellers, the Rothschilds, and the Vatican. And the second row is their um, um, uh, servants that are actually the front for all of these people. And, you know, when I was looking at the message and looking at the scriptures, there were so many parallels in, um, uh, in the Bible about the situation that we are now facing. And the whole point of this message is not to look at the amazing things that, that history have brought about, the amazing things that we're going to study in the, um, the scriptures, but the things we need to look at is the fact that this is going to affect us personally and our families and our children and um, our friends and neighbours. And people are starting to ask Sue and I and other people, because you've, you've communicated with me, what on earth is going on in this world? I know what's going on in the world. You should know what's going on in the world because the Bible tells us what is coming and what's going to be going on in the world. But I want to actually, we're going to start off in, in a passage in Ezekiel, but not yet. I'm going to give you a very short postage stamp thumbnail about a city and a state in, in, uh, in ancient history called Phoenicia. And the two main cities of Phoenicia were Tyre and Sidon. And, and you'll know those from your devotional readings in the Bible. And Tyre and Sidon are an amazing, and Phoenicia itself is an amazing entity. And the more I studied it over the years, the more I was fascinated by the parallels that we see in the Bible. And Phoenicia came to power about 1,500 years before Jesus and lasted another 1,000 years after Jesus. And they were seafarers and sailors and boat builders and traders and merchants par excellence. No one has ever come close to the Phoenicians for what they did. They set out from Tyre, which Phoenicia basically, if you can put in your mind, the modern country of Lebanon. It's in that part of the, the Middle East. They're a Canaanite tribe. But from 1500 BC onwards, they developed sailing technology that took them all over, firstly, the Mediterranean. They built cities in Carthage and in Cyprus and in, in Sicily. They had um, depots in Spain and they traded ferociously with Tarshish. Now, I don't know who's told, if anyone's told you where Tarshish is. A lot of people um, tell you that it's in southern Spain. It's got nothing to do with southern Spain. Tarshish are the British Isles. And we will read that soon because what the British Isles uh, produce is exactly what traders need. And British Isles were very big in producing metals, especially tin, because you can put tin with other metals and form alloy, alloys and it became incredibly valuable to the trade in the past. Now, not only did they do that in Britain, but there are some cuneiform uh, writings in a place called Berkeley in Massachusetts, uh, near the coast. And people, archaeologists and linguists have argued for, since their discovery some few hundred years ago, where this came from, and it's either Hebrew or it's um, um, uh, Phoenician cuneiform. The other interesting thing is they found the same kind of relics and leftovers in Brazil. And I have um, some, I, I, I read an absolutely fabulous um, 
article uh, just earlier in the year, and it was really based on climate change. And please don't believe what you're told about climate change, seriously. And I was reading this article, and it's a three and a half thousand year um, snapshot of the world's climate, and it actually came from the Russians. And what you notice over the um, three and a half thousand years is there are heating periods and cooling periods, and heating periods and cooling periods. And uh, just to, to make it really pointed to you, in the 12th century, which is 800 years ago, in Greenland and Iceland, they had dairy farms because the ruins of those dairy farms and the sheds and the, and, and the um, um, barns and everything are still there. You can go and see them. 400 years later, we had what was called the Mini Ice Age. And the northern um, part of Europe, especially Norway and Sweden, froze over so badly that you could walk from the top of Norway over to Greenland because it was frozen. Well, hello. It goes in cycles, and it's in 400-year cycles. And the interesting thing is, every time there's a warm period, trade flourishes all around the world, and there is no disease, and empires expand, and all the rest of it. When it freezes, then everything sucks down, no one goes anywhere, everyone gets sick. And in the 16th century, we had what was called the Mini Ice Age. And that's when we had the Black Death, the bubonic plague, we had the fire of London, we had all of those things. Um, and then for the next 400 years, guess what? It started warming up again. And now it's cooling off again. So Al Gore, I want to give you an inconvenient truth. <laughs> Your film is a waste of time, okay? But these Phoenicians went all over the world and they accumulated incredible wealth and they had kings coming to them and they had their own royal line and they had thrones in Tyre and Sidon and the, the, the wealth that the Phoenicians had was beyond belief. And you know what? When David was king of Israel and then his son Solomon, there was a king in Tyre that was their friend. Anyone want to guess what their name is? Hiram. And Hiram supplied cedar and furs and, and precious woods to David for his palace. And then he got guilty. And he said, David said, I live in a palace made of cedar and my Lord, the tabernacle, is still in the tent. So I'm going to build a, a temple for my God. And so he went to Nathan and he says, I've had this desire to, to build this temple. And Nathan the prophet said, good idea. You go and build it. And then that night, Nathan heard from the Lord in a dream and said, I didn't tell you to tell David to build the temple. You wait till you hear from me. And by the way, that's a little snippet for all of us. If you're going to do something, make sure the Lord's in it with you. Okay? And so Nathan the next day rushed to David and said, Sorry, David, you cannot build the temple. You're a man of blood. Your, your hands are covered in blood and you're not going to build the temple. Your son will build the temple. And so that sorted that out. But Hiram was um, a friend of both David and Solomon. The problem is after Hiram, a couple of kings after Hiram, and when Sennacherib was causing trouble in the northern kingdom, uh, Tyre started um, trading in Hebrew slaves. And then things got 
quite dicey for them. So if you're blessing Israel, what did we say last week? If it's, it's Genesis 12, 2 and 3 all together. If you want a blessing from God, bless Israel. If you want to get beaten up by God, beat up Israel. That's the, that's the reality of it. So I want you to turn now. And these guys here are nothing more. There's nothing new under the sun. These are nothing more than modern-day Phoenicians. And we're going to look at the scriptures that prove that. And so I want you to turn in your Bible, please, to Ezekiel uh, 26. Where's my run sheet? 26, Ezekiel 26. 26, 27, and 28 in Ezekiel are all about Tyre and the king of Tyre and the prince of Tyre. And it's, it's, it's astonishing what we learn in here. And I'm going to um, start here at verse 15. Ezekiel 26, verse 15. Thus says the Lord God to Tyre, Will the coastlands not shake at the sound of your fall when the wounded cry, when the slaughter is made in the midst of you? Then all the princes of the sea will come down from their thrones, lay aside their robes and take off their embroidered garments. They will clothe themselves with trembling. They will sit on the ground, tremble at every moment and be astonished at you. And they will take up a lamentation for you and say to you, how you have perished, O one inhabited by seafaring men, O renowned city who was strong at sea, she and her inhabitants who caused their terror to be on all her inhabitants. Now the coastlands, this is the nations um, uh, around the earth that they traded with, now the coastlands tremble on the day of your fall. Yes, the coastlands by the sea are troubled at your departure. And we're going to look at this in a little bit uh, later. There's a strong modern parallel to that passage that's coming up that we need to be aware of. And we haven't got the verses here on, um, on the screen, but I'm just going to quickly go through and pick parts of 27 that show you how um, worldwide the effect of Tyre was. And in verse 6, 27 verse 6, it mentions um, Cyprus. In verse 7, Egypt and Elisha. In 8, Arvad. And 9, and Gebal. And 10, Persia, Lydia and Libya. And then in um, 11, you've got Gamad. 12, you've got Tarshish. You've got Yavan, which is Greece, Tubal and Meshech, which were those two cities that are on the southern side of the Black Sea in northern Turkey. You had Tagama, which is the Armenian uh, peoples, Didan, which is um, Yemen, Syria, 17, verse 17, Judah and the land of Israel, verse 18, Damascus, Dan, Yavan, Didan, Arabia, Kedar, Sheba, Ramah, Haran, Cana, Eden, Sheba, Assyria, and, and Kilmad. There was no area in the ancient world that was not touched by the Phoenicians. And when we look at the people on that, um, that uh, screenshot there, there is nowhere in this world that they do not have an influence. And so there is nothing new under the sun. And so this, the, the power and the wealth and the, the global reach of Phoenicia is a 
pointer to the, um, to the events that we're looking at right now. And I want you to go now into Ezekiel chapter 28. And Ezekiel 28, these are the two passages, 28 and Isaiah 14, that I didn't get to last week. And, and most of you should know these things, but there are deeper things that I think may come as a surprise to you. So in verse, uh, chapter 28, verse 1, the Lord, word of the Lord came to me again, saying, Son of man, say to the prince of Tyre. That's very important that you understand this. This is the prince of Tyre. This is the human king of Tyre. Because your heart is lifted up, verse 2, and you say, this is what wealth and power does to a person. And you say, I am a God. I sit in the seat of gods in the midst of the seas, yet you are a man, not a God. This is what God is saying to him. Though you set your heart as the heart of a God, and verse 3, behold, you are wiser than Daniel. There is no secret that is hidden from you. And by the way, that's the Daniel of the Bible. What most people don't understand, they read the, the prophecy of Daniel, all 12 chapters, but what they don't realise is that David was famous in the ancient world. Why? Because he was second only to Nebuchadnezzar in the Babylonian uh, kingdom. And he used to go as an emissary for Nebuchadnezzar to all of the trading nations near Babylon. And so David, uh, uh, um, Daniel was famous at this time, and he's also mentioned by Ezekiel three times in, in his book. And in verse 4, with your wisdom and your understanding, and this is God chiding this guy, not praising him, you have gained riches for yourself and gathered gold and silver into your treasuries. By your great wisdom in trade, you have increased your riches, and your heart is lifted up because of your riches." The top shelf on that, that um, picture is just these people in a nutshell. This is what great wealth does to you. This is what power does to you. It, it, it plays with your complete understanding of humanity, humanity. And in verse 6, Therefore thus says the Lord God, Because you have set your heart as the heart of a God, behold, therefore, I will bring strangers before you, the most terrible of the nations, and they shall draw their swords against the beauty of your wisdom and defile your splendor. And they shall throw you down into the pit. And you shall die the death of the slain in the midst of the seas. Will you still say before him who slays you, I'm a God? That's derision from heaven. Remember Psalm 2 last week? Everyone, the kings of the earth who gather together in rebellion against the Lord, the Lord holds them in derision. Who will you still say before him who slays you? I am a God, but you shall be a man and not a God in the hand of him who slays you. Shall You shall die the death of the uncircumcised by the hand of aliens, for I have spoken, says the Lord God. And this is the Lord's dirge or funeral poem against the king, the actual human king of Tyre. And then we come to verse 11 through to verses 19 because it changes. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God. 
The previous one was the prince. Now we're talking to the king. And the king is the spiritual power behind this kingdom. And by the way, he's the spiritual power behind every kingdom. What did um, Satan say to Jesus in Matthew 4 at the temptation? All of these kingdoms have been given to me, and he showed Jesus a vision of the kingdoms of the world, and I have the authority to give them to whomever I will. Now, if, Jesus, you would just bow down and worship me, I will give you all of these kingdoms. What did Jesus say? In the New, New Australian standard, it was on your bike, Mike. <laughs> I think it was really away from me, Satan, but you know what I mean. But he is the power behind every earthly kingdom. There is coming a kingdom sooner than any of us can realise and believe there is coming a kingdom of righteousness on this earth that will put pay to all of the kingdoms of the earth. And please, Jesus, don't, you know, don't wait too long. But this is what God is saying to this being here. Thus says the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. King of Tyre was never in, in, in Eden, the garden of God. And every precious stone was your covering. The sardius, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire. Some of you have lapis lazuli, turquoise and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes. That's praise and worship. That stewed means a lot to Stuart here. You know. Was prepared for you on the day that you were what? He wasn't born. This person was created, handmade by God. And I've done a study before um, last year on the Benai Elohim, the sons of God. And angels are the sons of God, the Benai Elohim. Adam and Eve were Benai Elohim. What's peculiar about the angels and Adam and Eve. No parents. So how did they come about? They had to be created by God. And you know what? In John 1, verses 11 and 12, it says, Jesus came to his own, and his own received him not, but to those who did receive him, to them he gave the right to become the sons of God. That's where I go back to my King James because I much prefer the, king, the sons of God than the children of God because it's Benai Elohim. Do you know that when you are born again, when you are born again, the moment you put your faith and trust and belief in Jesus Christ, you are recreated by the Holy Spirit, you are regenerated by him, and you become a son of God, a handmade creation of God. You don't know, you don't realise how special you are. You get up in the morning and you go, oh. you know, but you are a handmade creation of God. And never forget that. And when we're looking at these next few passages, we're looking at earthly domination and power, and, and the kicker is for you and I right at the end of the message. You were an, the anointed cherub who covers. He was God's prime minister in heaven. Do you understand this? He was the anointed cherub that covereth. 
Even in Jude verse 9, even the archangel Michael did not dare bring a railing accusation against Satan when they were disputing over the body of Moses because he knew who he used to be because Michael was up there with him. Michael is an archangel, he's chief of the archangels. Uh, in Daniel chapter 10, it says, and Michael, who was helping Gabriel get through to Daniel, it says in, in the English translations, he was one of the chief princes, they're the archangels. But the one in the Hebrew is the first, or the chief among the chief princes. So if you want to know who the boss of the um, archangels are, it was actually Michael. And even he would not bring an accusation against Satan, even though Satan had fallen. Why? Because he was created by God, and he has a purpose that God has given him to do uh, in this world until his end comes. And he said, you are the anointed cherub, verse 14. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. By the way, that stones should be more, more precisely jewels because what happens is in heaven and it's in revelation 21 and 2 we get the same imagery of the new heavens and the new earth when we're up there with our father in heaven and there's this incredible light and that the light that emanates from jesus as the lamp and the light of, of god it, it reflects in the, in the splendor that you and I cannot imagine when we're going to be there, we'll see a dimensionality that just will be, it will cause us to just stare at the beauty that's up there. And this is where Satan was. You walk back and forth in the midst of these fiery stones and you were perfect in your ways from the day that you were created. Worst line in this book, until iniquity was found in you the first sin ever to enter the universe, the created universe. And in verse 16, this is something that most, people, most translators struggle with. By the abundance of your trade, you became filled with violence within. What does that mean? It means that it, I'm going to use the term day by day, but he existed in eternity. God exists in eternity. If you're in the presence of God, you have eternity. That's why when Jesus says to the, um, the woman at the well, uh, the Samaritan woman at the well, you, if only you knew the free gift of God, which is eternal life. And when you receive that, you receive that the moment you are born, but you know this thing fades away, but the body he's going to give us is eternal, and we will be up there with him. The problem was we try to understand eternity and we use phrases like, you know, eternity past in heaven, eternity future. It's the ever-present now. But to give you an idea of what's happening in verse 16, because Satan, because he was Lucifer to start off with, he was God's business manager. And so he was acting in, on behalf of God in all of the business that took place in heaven. Don't ask me what the business would, that was in heaven, I mean, apart from praise and worship, but there would have been other things, all right? And so he was God's emissary. And you know, if, that, if you act in that role for so long, I've been in corporations and companies very near the top. And in fact, my best ever boss, um, we turned a two-bit, seven-year 
high-throughput, low-grade mine in 1989 into a 22-year-old monster that's still going up in the northeastern goldfields. And my boss was the boss. He was a genius. And he had a kitchen cabinet of three of us. And he and I were the closest. And do you know why we were the closest? Because I said to him, he said, I don't know what I'd do without you. And I said, listen, let's get something straight. You're a genius. You know more about mining than I could ever learn in a lifetime. He was a terrible people with people, a person with people. He just didn't like people. He just liked things and plans and schemes and finance sheets and all the rest of it. So I was his people person. And so we had an, a relationship that blossomed and caused that mind to blossom because I knew that he was the boss and I was no challenge to him. But there was another guy within that kitchen cabinet that lusted after his job and was always causing trouble. Do you know what I mean? So when you read the Bible, you think, oh, I've seen that in real life. There is nothing more important in an organisation than loyalty. And this guy, because the abundance of his trading, something happened to him and he became filled with violence and he sinned. Therefore I cast you as a, uh, as a profane thing out of the mountain of God and I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. That's from heaven. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendour. And I've said to this to our Bible study on Wednesday nights, I think, when we were doing Revelation. And Andy Woods, uh, Dr. Andy Woods, came up with the perfect um, explanation for this. It's brilliant. If you divorce, if you divorce the intellect that God has given you, that is your idea to conceive, to think, to have emotions, to plan to, to understand your whole comprehension. If you divorce the intellect that God created from him, you can only become insane. It's like cutting off the blood supply. And this is what happened to him. It's what happened to Lucifer. And we'll find out in Isaiah 14 what he did. You were corrupted because of your splendor, and I cast you to the ground, I laid you before kings, that they might gaze at you. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading. Therefore, I bought fire from your midst and it devoured you. Do you know what he did when he fell? He put a challenge to the angelic body. I intend to challenge God. Who's coming with me? How many went with him? A third went with them. They've been in the presence of Almighty God. And still a third chose to follow him. That was the, that was the uh, multitude of his iniquities. Therefore I brought fire from your midst and it devoured you and I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who knew you among the peoples are astonished at you. You have become a horror and shall be for, uh, no more forever. And turn now to Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah 14. 
from verse, what have we got? 12, yep, well done. Isaiah 14, O how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. This is the famous five I wills. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. The stars of God were really the angelic realm. Oh, no, that's all right. I thought it, thought it was mine. Oh, turn it off. Take it out. You won't turn it off, love. Yeah. <laughs> Throw it away iPhones, who wants an iPhone anyway? I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. That's the angelic realm. He's part of the angelic realm, but here he's staying. I'm going to exalt myself above that where I was uh, created. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation, that is where the throne of God is, on the farther sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. What are the clouds? It's the Shekinah glory of God. And he's going to say he's even going to climb above the Shekinah glory of God. And the worst thing is, I will be like the Most High. That's a problem. That is a major problem. Those are the five I wills. What's the personal pronoun used in those five? I. I. What did he do? He sinned. What's the middle letter of the word sin? Because of pride. What's the middle letter of the word pride? And this one I thank J.D. Frag for. What's the middle letter in the name Lucifer? And everyone's going... <laughs> it's Lucifer. It's I, 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 me, my... You become obsessed with self. When you get so wealthy and so privileged, you become obsessed with self. And you know what? Second best isn't good enough. Second best is never good enough to a person who is obsessed with themselves. And he was cast out of heaven. And so did he... You would have thought if you were cast out of that privileged thing, you'd just slink away and try and figure out how you're going to put it right. But no, what did he do? Turn to Genesis chapter 3. And you all know what's coming, but you need to see it. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Yea, this is my, I'm, I'm being a bit King Jimmy there sometimes. I know that's King James, New King James. Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So what's he doing? He's causing you to doubt the word of God, the commandments of God, which came through in verses 16 and 17 in the previous chapter. When, Jesus, when it was Jesus, but let's say God, told um, Adam of any tree in the garden 
you may eat the fruit of freely, but the tree in the midst of the garden, the tree of the fruit of knowledge of the knowledge of good and evil, from that tree you may not eat. For on the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. In the Hebrew, it's dying, you shall surely die. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of garden, the garden, God has said, now careful, watch this, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it. Did God tell that to Adam? This is what happens when you play around with scripture. And by the way, when God gave Adam that commandment, where was Eve? She hadn't been created yet. So Adam had the responsibility to tell Eve and pass on the commandments of God. That's what every Christian has to the next generation, to faithfully pass on the commandments and the word of God just as faithfully as it is written. Don't alter it, don't modify it, don't change it. Leave it as it is and tell them the truth. And verse 4, And the serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and what? You will be like God. That's the same thing that caused him to fall. There's nothing new under the sun. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave to her husband with her and he ate and we know the consequences of that. Adam had dominion over the earth. He lived in the Garden of Eden, which was paradise. He had every possible thing that God could have given him in order to rule over the earth. Just as he gave Lucifer in heaven, the anointed cherub, every responsibility to rule over heaven and be his business manager. And what happens in the heart of people? Second best is not good enough. All Adam had, and the people that have been with, with me uh, for some time will know this, but for the new people and those online, all Adam had to do, and the only test he had to face, was one tree. Adam was tested by a tree in the Garden of Eden. But you know the staggering reality is that you and I are tested by a tree. A tree that stands on the Golgotha, the hill of Golgotha outside Jerusalem and that was 2,000 years ago and all of humanity from Cain and Abel onwards has been tested by that tree. Adam failed, thank God everyone here succeeded. We passed the test. We believed in the sacrifice on that tree. And in verse 17 and 18 of Genesis chapter 3, it's very interesting. Then he said to Adam, this is when God is, is um, uh, punishing all three of them. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife 
and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying, Don't. Anyone here ever heard the word of the voice of the Holy Spirit over your life saying, I don't think you should do that? Did you obey? Sometimes, sometimes not. You know, if you read the Bible, you would. Because here we see the consequences. You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake, and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Verse 18, this is brilliant. Both thorns and thistles it shall be bring forth for you. Thorns and thistles from the ground that provided them everything they needed before the fall. And thorns are emblematic of the Adamic curse because of his rebellion and because of his fall. And in the Old Testament, the symbol of sin is the thorn bush, the acacia thorn bush of the desert. In Exodus chapter 3, when Moses turned aside, he saw a bush burning but not being consumed. What was that bush? It was the acacia thorn bush. And the imagery there is sin being judged by fire but not yet being consumed. And so the acacia thorn bush was emblematic of sin all the way through the Old Testament. And you know what? If you saw an acacia um, thorn bush, it had viney branches, sappy branches, with nasty, nasty spikes on them. And 2,000 years ago, the Roman soldiers got a sap from one of those bushes and twisted it round into a spiral and jammed it onto the head of our Lord and Saviour. And he bore the crown of the curse of Adam in order to set us free. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Now, I want you to turn quickly back to, because we're going to go to Revelation in a minute, to show you how this is all going to turn out for those people that were up on the screen there. I want you to turn back to Ezekiel and uh, chapter 26. We're only going to read a couple of verses, but it sets the scene for um, Revelation. And it just goes to show you that there's absolutely nothing new under the sun. So Ezekiel 26, and I'm going to remind you of what was said in 15 and 16. 15, 16, 17 and 18 is a lament by the kings of the earth at the fall of Tyre, the city that held sway over the known world at that time through its wealth, its influence, its, um, its power, and its ability to trade with everyone. And in these passages, you would do well this week, you would do very well this week to read chapters 26, 27, and 28. It doesn't take very long, but it is a preview of what is coming on the face of this earth, especially in the tribulation period, the 70th week of Daniel, because there is nothing new under the sun. 
What happens in those three verses happens in Revelation. And these guys, these people in, in, in Tyre, there are three groups, kings, merchants, and sailors in that passage. And I want you to concentrate on those four verses. In verse 19, I'm going to say, For thus says the Lord God, When I make you a desolate city, like cities that are not inhabited, when I bring the deep upon you and great waters to cover you, when I bring you down with those who descend into the pit to the people of old, I will make you dwell in the lowest part of the earth in places desolate from antiquity with those who go down into the pit so that you may never be inhabited and I shall establish glory in the land of the living. Now go to Revelation chapter 18. And this is what's going to happen very, very soon. Revelation chapter 18. And I was listening just devotionally to Chuck Missler this week. And it's amazing how he brought out this in this particular passage. Revelation chapter 18, verses um, 14 to 20. The fruit, this is the lament over the fall of Babylon. The fruit that from your soul longed for, that your soul longed for, has gone from you, and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more at all. The merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance, just as they did with Tyre, for fear of her torment and weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, for in one hour such great riches came to nothing. Every shipmaster, all who travel by ship, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea stood at a distance. This is yet to happen in the future. Not that very far away, as far as I'm concerned. There are some other events that are going to happen uh, soon that we'll deal with next week before the tribulation starts. And these people cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city? And then they threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth. For in one hour she is made desolate. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you, holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. Now, I'm not going to turn back to Ezekiel 28. Do you remember there are two divisions in Ezekiel 28 from 1 to 19? There is a lament over the human king of Tyre, and the second stage is the dirge over the fate of Satan. A human king that calls himself a god? What's going to happen there in the future? Who does that sound like? A human being claiming to be God? Antichrist. Who's the power behind Antichrist? Ezekiel 28, 1 to 19, all over again. There is nothing new under the sun. You cannot, this is Don Stewart, you cannot make this thing, these things up. 
And you know what? There is warning after warning after warning in this book about how human beings face up to temptation. And there are exhortations and there are um, blessings for those who pull back slightly and say, no, I'm not going to fall that way. And just to finish off now, the kicker, turn to Galatians chapter 5 and we'll finish off. And you say to me, and people have said to me in the past, but how do you resist these temptations? How do you measure yourself? Am I really good or am I just making it by? Just turn to Galatians chapter 5 and measure yourself by this, this, um, this standard, 19 to 25. So you know that when you were born again, you were created a new creature in Christ. But I don't know why the Lord did it, but he left the old man in us. I wished he hadn't. It would have made it so much more easy, but he didn't. So we have this constant war as Christians in, these, in this day and age to constantly war against the old man, the old sin nature, the flesh. And we want really to do what, the things that please God. And so Paul is warning the Galatians in this very area. These are the, um, this is the divide between the spirit and the flesh. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, which I'm guilty of when I'm behind the seat of the steering wheel in a car in heavy traffic. Uh, my wife tells me I've still got to deal with that. Selfish ambitions dissensions and heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And if you're a born-again Christian, you don't practice these things. The word practice in the Greek is that's your lifestyle. That's what you do all the time. That's your default position in your behaviour on this planet. So if you're a born-again Christian, there are things in there that you might struggle with, but you are not condemned by them. Those who practice these things, that's their lifestyle, that's their thought process, that's what defines them as a human being. But verse 22, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what's the last one? Self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And this is what fellowship does for us. We encourage one another. We exhort one another. We're on um, WhatsApp all day, every day, just lifting people, each other up in prayer, praying for needs and, and, uh, and situations that need to be addressed. Um, we've got uh, someone down um, at the back, towards the back of the room and um, they've had bad news in the family and that's Dawn and we know that we want to pray for Dawn and especially for her mum who has um, got some health, serious health issues and that's the that's the whole point of fellowship. That's the whole point of gathering together. Especially as we see that day drawing near. It is coming like a flood. 
There's a thing happening. I don't know if you're up with it. I'm sure that if you're here at Calvary Chapel, Perth, you must, you must be aware of it. There's a thing called the World Economic Forum in, the next, uh, in January and February next year in Davos in Switzerland. And those people that were up there on the rogues gallery are going to make decisions that are going to affect you and I if we're still here. But how do we do it? We lean on and trust in the God who saved us. We have no fear of those people because their fate is already sealed. And in fact, you should be praying for those people. That is an, an estimate of the, your maturity in Jesus Christ. If you can take the worst person in the world who's still alive and pray for their redemption. Why? Because it's a victory for the kingdom of heaven. Things are happening so fast and you and I are so privileged to live in this state because we have not had to put up with 20% of what all the rest of the states in Australia have, especially places around the world. Israel's getting beaten up something crazy at the moment. India, crazy at the moment. Russia, they won't even tell you the truth about what's going on in Russia. So you are so lucky and so privileged to live in this um, environment. And don't ever stop thanking God for that privilege. Next week, we're going to look at what's going to bring on the, the, um, the big events that are happening uh, on the horizon in the Middle East. But everything that we look at, everything that we study, is for you to go out of here, from here, this week, and say, Lord, how am I doing with you? Lord, I need you. You know that song? Lord, I need you. Boy, is that ever true. That was anointed, a choice from heaven, seriously. Father, we come before you this afternoon and in fellowship together as your children, as the sons of God, Father. We just pray now that we will sense your presence with us all week, that we will just know that you are with us. We know that your Holy Spirit is within us, and we would ask you, Father, for the humility to listen to his encouragement and exhortations. And that we would pray not only for Katie in that terrible environment where she is, but for Dawn's mother and everyone else that needs a prayer at the moment. Father, we just honour you. We praise you. We have no idea, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived of the things that you have for us. And Father, we cannot wait for the day when you say to your son, Go get your bride. In Jesus' name, amen.